This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side. And let's bring on uh, one of the members of the MGO Blog Roundtable, our good friend, Seth Fisher. Seth, good morning. How are you? Morning, Sam. I'm seeing whales. <laughs> You're seeing whales? <laughs> I got down at, uh, down at Comerica Park. The, uh, they've had it covered up by ads for like the last two years, and then the uh, the storms came by and ripped that ad down that everyone hated for years, and like the whales are still there on the building, right in the right in the outfield. <laughs> They're gorgeous. So, yeah, man. Oops, oops, sorry. That's man, that's how I'm feeling today, man. I feel like you know, strip away the ads. Strip, strip so, away so the tell ads. me this. Uh, you <laughs> know, I'd be, yeah, I'd be remiss if we didn't ask how how your son is doing uh, this week. He walked into school. First oh, that is nobody awesome. believed us that we were gonna that this was gonna happen, and he did it. Now the wheelchair was waiting for him the second he got in through the the, the building, but he walked into school. Um, he's doing like half days right now. There's a lot of PT, a lot of drives to Ann Arbor, um, but we're uh, we're getting there. He's just at this point, it's just climbing back. So he's gonna be just fine. It's gonna be a full recovery, and he's doing great. Um, gave his mother some lip this morning, but you know that's part of the healing process too. <laughs> okay, so that's a sign, right? right. That's a sign. <laughs> right. Things are returning to normal. That's right. It would be in my house anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if he's got the energy to tell his mother all sorts of things that you're not supposed to say, well, <laughs> good sign. All right, that's lovely news. Not that he's giving mom some lip, but yep. that he is definitely, definitely, definitely on the mend, and so. Uh, it is also great news that we are actually just two days away from some football, Seth. We finally get a chance to talk and watch some football, uh, it, at least for the majority of the MGO Blog Roundtable. We are going to do that as well. But I will use this to kind of get your thoughts on what Jim had to say at the beginning of his press conference, where he led it off talking about the need for college football. Uh, to to have revenue sharing because of the model, the current model being unsustainable. What did you make of of Jim Harbaugh once again, kind of kind of stepping out front on a big big topic when it, in college football? I mean, you mess with me, I'm just gonna mess with you, right? I, <laughs> they want to come after him for this cheeseburger stuff and like and draw this out and make it as painful as possible. Well, he knows exactly how to hurt them. The truth, because everybody in this business is known for a while now that the TV money is going to have to get shared with the players. They've been putting this off for a hundred years. And so they figure they can keep punting it further. And 
it's the time is it's coming. There's going to be a court case or whatever happens. It's going to happen. And the NCAA has been consistent in waiting for someone else to force them to do it instead of doing it themselves. And it's nice that somebody is stepping out. I think Harbaugh's, prob- Harbaugh's saying it because he doesn't care what he does to them, right? Mitch, if, they end up, <laughs> if we end up in a situation where the amount of money that your school makes is going to be the, the amount of money your players make, Michigan wins because he's still fighting a system that is not really set up for the way that we like to do business. And everyone else who's in the business of trying to compete in a different way is really upset with this because that's that's not how they do things, and the, the people who make all the money are upset with this because that's you know that they they're making a killing right now. They've got an NFL where they don't have to pay the players anything close to their uh, their actual value, and the entire concept of like why are we expanding the Big Ten? Why are we doing all this stuff? It's just to like increase the revenue enough for them to be able to afford what they know is coming down the pipeline. Yeah, man, I, I think that. We've been beating this drum for a long, long time. You wonder if if he will find some uh, find some colleagues on this one. It, it felt like he was he was the the only voice talking about the need for open transfers, mm-hmm. right? This one, I think, it is more obviously for for those who look for those coaches who look at things in only a self serving way. Uh, not looking at it from, you know, necessarily how it benefits student athletes. This one is easier to see uh, it being self-serving to go out and say, hey, let's let's share the revenue with the players. Not going to affect coaching the coaches salaries. Mm-hmm. This is going to affect the, uh, you know, the TV uh, payout to the uh, t- to the schools. But you could definitely if you want to use it as a recruiting lure. I'm, I got your back. I'm for you. I'm trying to I- I'm standing on the table for the players. Uh, for coaches who are inclined to do things that only serve their interests, I can see those guys kind of getting on board with this. I wonder if Jim's going to have more allies on this one, Seth. It's possible. I mean, Jim has been has done a good job. He's a smart guy. He understands politics better than I think most uh, coaches do and most people in his industry do. And one of the things they do in politics is they find wedge issues. Where is, where is this group of people um, and their needs – different than other this other group of people and their needs. And he's identified a couple spots in the past where players' needs and coaches' needs or players' needs and the program's needs are at odds with each other and taking the sides of the players. And this is another, I mean, this is the big one, right? This is the one where the players, they think that they should be paid a fair share for what they contribute to this sport, which makes a lot of money. The coaches actually do benefit. The reason why the coaching salaries are way beyond what they used to be is because you cannot pay the players. So you paid your coach more. You had to have the best possible coach. And then the best possible coach can get the players. Yet you pay the coach insane amounts, not just in his base salary and bonuses, but you pay them uh, in his um, – and in, in you can't fire these guys. Mm-hmm. And that is to convince the players not to leave, right? You pay Mel Tucker. The reason they gave him a 10-year contract that they can't get out of is that Mel Tucker can go on the recruiting trail and say, I've got a 10-year contract they can't get out of, right? Mm-hmm. So you try to give that – that's all about security. And then a lot of schools to this day are paying coaches that – are out of the game or coaching somewhere else or on their third trip afterwards because that's the that's where the money's been going. That was money that could have gone to the players, that the players generated the value. 
but they had the, is the, the secondary value that goes to that. Uh, to that, they also have the schools. I don't want to get into the whole financing of the schools, but they have they building projects way out into the future for the same reason. So Harbaugh is stepping into this mess and saying this is not where the money should be going into. And the coaches, I don't think they understand the economics, so maybe a couple of them will join him on it. But certainly the administrators who the coaches work for are not going to be in favor of this because this is going to upset their entire apple cart. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. It was, uh, is it, was it the motivation? Was it part of the motivation to kind of put the NCAA on blast? Mm. <laughs> 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 gotta say, like you said, <laughs> you, <laughs> right, yeah, you stick it to me. I'm going to stick it to you. I mean, I think that's a, that's a, sort of a byproduct it is a it is a a fortunate sort of um uh it's an add-on it's a bonus Mm -hmm. to what i think his his motivation is and that is you know really standing up for the student athlete he was one he he made the reference to i was a player Mm -hmm. like i was a play i played college football i know everything it takes to took for me to put uh to, to be the player that i was and it takes even more now and then I was in the pros when when we went to um, the revenue sharing model that they have now. And he said, so, you know, I've seen it and how beneficial it can be and how necessary it is. We need to get this done. And so, again, he he doesn't often have, um, you know, others in the profession kind of standing on the table talking about, yeah, you know, Jim's right. But I don't know. We're in the twilight zone these days because Paul Feinbaum has been all over the place talking about how how much the NCAA is wronging Jim Harbaugh. He was he was on one of the shows the other day talking about how Jim Harbaugh is right about revenue sharing. Huh. He might have some allies here. I mean, if Paul Feinbaum is an ally, Seth, you, you, I, I think you're going to have a few I can't SEC folks on, our on your side. side. I mean, one thing about Jim Harbaugh is that he's been a media, a media manipulator since he was 22. And we know this about him, and he's good at it. Um, but there's also – there's more to it than just, you know, I, I know this is going to benefit me. Because mm-hmm. some of the guys that Harbaugh pals around with are old NFL players, and a lot of them are old Michigan players, not just the guys he played with. He's a big fan of Ricky Leach, and he knows all those older guys from the 70s, and they're around the program a lot. Uh, And those guys, if you look at people who played in the NFL before revenue sharing and after revenue sharing, it's a world of difference in the health of the of the men, in the financial stability of these men. If you just look, we just watch them move around and you can tell who got surgery when they needed to and who didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. The old guys who play in the NFL all have tons of hurts and they players consistently come up. I know that there's a, a couple guys, um, Terry Richardson was one of them, who are working to like find money for old players and support these guys, old Michigan guys who played here in the 60s, 70s and whatnot, who went to the NFL and all the damage that was done to their bodies um, and their mental health never really healed. So, I mean, this is something that Harbaugh has known about, has been in the middle of. He's best friends with some of the guys who've been uh, working on this thing from the ground up for years. So when he says that there's a difference in lifestyle between guys who get their share and guys who are left out, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And I don't think it's just 
because it benefits him or just because it benefits right. Michigan or recruiting. He knows exactly what it's like for these players, not just as a player himself, but all of his friends and all the people around him, and it is stark. Yeah, yeah, it, definitely I agree with you on his motivation. Um, every coach is not cut like Jim, <laughs> as we know. But even those more <laughs> selfish coaches, I think, are going to be able to get on, on board with this one because they can find the personal benefit in this one. I, I, mean, I don't think they Nebraska, saw. That's, it, that's, that's, that's great, right? Nebraska fans can raise money, and it's not easy to, like, you know, they, they try to compete in the NIL, but they're not, or quote, NIL. And Nebraska was good at that for a time, but, you know, they're, they're going to have the ability just because Nebraska can raise money. They have, fun, they, they have people who actually care about that program. Um, that, that's going to be really good for them, for Iowa, for Illinois, for all these schools that make a lot of money, and a lot of that money is just going to administrators, not the players. That's going to be something they can offer. If the Big Ten wants to get out ahead of this, they could get out ahead of the SEC, and they could do Dang it for man. long enough that the SEC is going to either have to change their policies or they're going to have to watch as the Big Ten is taking lots of talent away. Well, listen, uh, we got to get to a break. We're going to get someone else in Joe's garage. I'll, I'll say what I've been saying on the, the why it's beneficial to be proactive. You can you can wait and be forced like you were with NIL, or you can get out front and you know maybe there's not this. Uh, this generosity of spirit as the reason for you doing it, but you can sort of feign that uh, and make them think that and get a cheaper price because the price today is not going to be the price tomorrow. The price tomorrow is going up. So you should get out in front of it. I mean, if you, if you take the initiative and you said, Hey, we're going to give the players, Ira's been throwing out the number 30 million. Yeah. You might, you might actually get, uh, a, a really favorable, like, man, they they really want to help us out, even though that might not be the real motivation. But you wait for them to come not beating down the door like they did with NIL. Well, now they're talking 40, 50 million uh, per school. Yeah. So it behooves you uh, to get out in front of this as far as I'm concerned. Oh. I just don't know that the NCAA uh, and the networks are as forward thinking yeah. uh, as is necessary. Go, go, look how much, go, go look at what percentage the players in the NFL make. Versus what percentage the players in the MLB make? Mm-hmm. That, the difference there is the players didn't. Uh, the players agreed to something ahead of time, as opposed to the players kind of forced the league to agree to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely great stuff. All right, let's get to a break, and we are back, folks. Here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb. Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side, and it is time for the MGO Blog Roundtable. And, fellas, it is game week. Uh, joining us, uh, as always, on the MGO Blog Roundtable, the man who started it all over at MGO Blog, Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sam. Fired up for game week, even though it's ECU <laughs> and they're going to kill him 100 to nothing? No. Yes, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Seth Fisher, how are you this morning again? I, I'm I'm great. Just stop telling me about how many guys are injured in the secondary because I'm starting to get a little nervous back there. Uh-huh. And then, of course, we'll get into that coming up. And, of course, uh, the venerable one, as I call him, Mr. Craig Ross. Craig, how are you? I'm allegedly alive. The uh, I want to commend um, the MGO blog uh, site this week. They did a seven-hour podcast. 
on, Good grief. on a seven-hour <laughs> podcast on Michigan football. It is very good. They get a little slap happy at the end, but that's understandable. And, and it really was excellent work. Congratulations, you and Alex and uh, uh, David. David. Yep. Yeah, did a great job. And secondly, I, I think Brian has written many fine articles on this on this site, but he he wrote a brilliant one this week that I commend to everyone, which has a very portable uh, little story in it. And I think that our portable idea, I'm a big fan of portable ideas, things that can you, you, you can use in all elements of your life. And I'm going to pull this one out for myself uh, and for Brian at times about uh, that this is a story that is meaningful in our day-to-day ways that we sort of approach life and the things we're doing. So congratulations, Brian. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece, and it's brilliant. To clarify to Uh, the readers, what he's talking about is Chris Jenkins' love of tendies. (laughs) You did seven hours on that? (laughs) (laughs) Mentioned it. (laughs) So um, I had Seth already kind of talk about Jim's comments his um his comment to open the, the mm-hmm. press conference i want to kind of keep this uh as a fraction of the conversation today because we talk so much not football yeah. uh seeing where we have anyway in recent weeks just starting with you brian uh your thoughts on jim coming out of the gate in the press conference not talking about the self-imposed suspension or the uh break breaking down of coaching duties no he wanted to talk about revenue sharing and the model of college football that will not stand unless there is a change your just your reaction to to jim kind of stepping out front again well you know he's he's done this over the course of his career he's clearly a guy with principles and sometimes are principles that you don't share but you can't ever doubt his his genuine belief in the things that he says so you know i think it's it's good for him to get it out there and i think it's uh he's right uh and i hope that sooner rather than later we're talking about how to actually actualize this, but no, it's game week. It's game week. Craig. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm often impressed with what Harbaugh does and I'm often impressed with the fact that he's willing to walk the walk too. I mean, a couple of years ago he marched in the, in black in the black lives matter matter of March. And, you know, that's not something that most football coaches would do. He went to Washington, D.C. twice uh, to testify in favor of uh, uh, the of legal aid agencies and, and funding legal aid, uh, which I thought was a good thing. Uh, you never know where he's going to be because his politics are neither right nor left in the main, but he does you know, he, he just doesn't talk it. He'll, he'll make, he'll take some energy to show you that, you know, this is something that I really believe in and it's something that's worthwhile. And, uh, you know, he, a couple of years ago, wasn't he the first one that talked about transfer portal and that we should have an, and that happened more, you know, more or less. And so now he's talking about revenue sharing. And to me, this combines with something the NCAA should have agreed to a number of years ago, which is unionization of, of players. And when, when the Northwestern guys said, hey, we should be unionized, the NCAA should, you're, should have said right from the beginning, you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think you're going to have revenue sharing without a player's union and, and, and players 
on negotiating this. Uh, and so those two things come hand in hand. So I don't see, in, to my way of thinking at least, so I don't see uh, much happening on this end until until players are have some sort of unified voice. Yeah, I wonder if, if these these collectives sort of forming this collective kind of coming together and, and, and kind of organizing their efforts. It's not a union, but is it a pseudo union that could, could align um, strategy on this? I, I wonder if, if that will be the case uh, because I mean, the next TV contract for the big 10 is what seven years away. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be more. Uh, as those numbers increase, you just got the the environment for discontent uh, to to heat up even more. So you know, we'll see. I, I think we see it in the next ten years. I think we see it in the next ten years. But I mean, but I want to talk football <laughs> like you guys want to talk football. Now here's the problem: um, How much football does ECU actually play? <laughs> I mean, can, can you can you give me a breakdown of ECU, Brian Seth, or? Or, or Greg, well, that makes me think yeah. that this is that, that there's a bigger concern here than getting more injured than they already are talking about Michigan. Well, I mean, you got to get Alex Drain on here if you want to talk about ECU. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I wrote I wrote the article for for Halo the Victors this year. What? I don't remember. So, what can you tell us about it? ECU? <laughs> I mean, last year was the year for them. They were. Um, like they they were coming up for a long time. They had a uh, they they actually had some pretty good recruits. They pulled it all together, and like last year was going to be the big push, and they just didn't have a kicker, and so they lost a bunch of games by like one or two points. They should have had a nine win season, and instead it kind of fell apart at the end, and then everybody left. They are interesting. Uh, they have a four star quarterback, uh, Mason Garcia, who's been in the program now for uh, a few years. And, I mean, this guy is like a tank. He's huge. So he's kind of going to be interesting to, to watch. It's going to take a few dudes to try to, to like get him down. Um, but, you know, they're a program. They're not, just, uh, they're not just as bad as the teams we saw at the beginning of the year last year. Uh, ECU's okay. got a program. They've got guys who've been sitting behind other players. Uh, I think their big problem is their defense just got picked apart by the portal after spring. So they had some dudes that they were ready to rely on and teams that needed somebody at the end of spring go, hey, let's take them from ECU. So they lost a big guard that way. Um, they had to move another guy to center that they don't really think is a center. And there's only three starters on defense and three on offense from last year. Um, and a lot of them, you know, the quarterback's a guy who's coming up, but like most of them are not guys they're expecting to play this year because the portal just ripped them to shreds. So they're... Um, their style of play is very kind of bend, don't break, so it might get a little annoying, and it might be a lot of, you know, grinding down the field and be a quick game. Okay. Well, like I said, the biggest uh, opponent in this game, is, in my opinion, is is injury. And at the same time, uh, with the injuries that Michigan has going into the game, I can't remember which one of you guys said, don't tell me that they are going to have an entirely uh, injured secondary. If it's me, uh, Brian, if... I got a guy who's not 90%. I'm sitting him this game. So if if Rod Moore and Makari Page have been, you know, slightly hobbled here in, in recent weeks, I'm just telling them, hey, fellas, take the week off. You come back versus UNLV. I'm not, I'm playing any guy that is slightly injured. I'm sitting him down this game. Yeah, I mean, that's a reasonable approach. 
Uh, we've seen Michigan be very careful with injuries in the past, especially last year. And you don't want to get anyone seriously hurt in a game that you're, I think, a 31-point favorite in. So it makes sense. It is a little uh, disconcerting that it seems like so many people are suddenly banged up. Well, they've probably been banged up through camp, but you know, Michigan doesn't tell anybody anything. So that kind of came out last right. second. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you, you just hope that nothing is, is serious. So I, I don't, I would like to see them out there because if they're out there, then that means that they're good to go. Well, so what I've heard and, and Craig, I want you to chime in here as well, is that, you know, it, N- there are no serious injuries. Guys have really been, you know, they've had tweaks and there's just been a little more, they've been a m- more cautious. Uh, and it first started being evident to me with the running backs. Like they, like Blake, and Blake may have said it in a press conference. Like, I'm not getting hit. I'm like, I'm not getting hit at all. And that's like, I, I that's like uncharted territory for a Michigan running back to not be getting hit. In, I don't care if he is coming off an injury. Jim Harbaugh, you're hitting. And they've kind of t- taken it a little more easy on some of those guys who uh, have returned from from injury who might be a little hobbled uh, this year. Now, they might go down on the depth chart. They still do that. Like, if you're hurt, Jim still pushes down on, on the depth chart. But as far as, you know, kind of banging them and that kind of thing, they just seem to me, at least to me, from the outside looking in, Craig, seem to be a little more cautious uh, in this in this preseason and, or in this fall camp than they have in past yeah, it seems that way. I mean, none of us actually know how bad these injuries are or what they are. And I mean, it seems like uh, they're not bad, that they're relatively minor things. But, you know, we don't really know. Uh, you know, I, I'm weary of the idea that we have a guy who's just very slightly hurt, but eh, we're just going to not play him or a guy that we're not playing because we're afraid he's going to get hurt. You know, at some point it's football. You got to play the game and you're going to get hit and you're going to hit people. And, and if you go seven games without being hit or not hitting anyone, I'm not sure that's such a good thing. I mean, and I, I doubt if the coaching staff perceives it as such a good thing either. And, and so, and I'm also a little bit leery of the notion, well, these are weak teams. We can, you know, just sort of cruise or skate in them. You know, ECU was eight and five last year. Um, they lost by one point to North Carolina state when they missed a chip shot field goal and an extra point. Uh, they lost to Cincy 27, 25, and they lost uh, to Navy in double overtime. So this is a team that easily could have been 11 and two. Now it's true. They've been completely replaced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that this is a new team, but it's a program that that it's not a meatball program, and their coach is a good. Seems to be Mike Houston seems to be a good coach. So I don't I don't want to just say, oh yeah, we'll just go out there, we're just going to walk over them, and we'll play our second and third team guys. No, I don't. Uh, that that one doesn't feel that obvious to me, and and so it makes me a bit nervous. But I'm always the most of of, of <laughs> people on this show. I'm always the most nervous, I guess. So yeah, I'm. Uh, I would be leery of sitting guys for the entire non-conference. I'm not leery of sitting them one game when the next two are going to be just like it. Uh, so if a next guy two are going to be easier, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's yeah. kind of yeah. makes my point even more. Yeah. I, so I, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, it, like it depends how injured you are. 
The thing right. is, like last year, uh, Nakai Hill Green was a the guy they absolutely needed, and going into the first week, they were like, "Hey, it's got a soft tissue, it, it, you know, it's not a, not a big deal." Mm-hmm. And then it just kept lingering and lingering and going and going. And if there's a lot of these guys, what are the chances that we're not going to have Rod Moore or something like that for for a while? Um, plus, I mean, these are tune-up games. So you got to get tuned up, right? You got to you got to get in the feel of it. And football. I, I know this is a little cosmic for us, but football does not reward you for easing off the gas, right? You remember last year, Blake Quorum stepped out against Illinois when he didn't have to, and everyone's like, oh, that's defensible. We got Ohio State next week. And then, you know, there's, there's something <laughs> in football, if you're not going 100%, something happens to you. I believe in this. Oh, yeah. Uh, just I'm on the same page. Them. Hundred percent with you on this one, sir. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not superstitious like that. How are you not superstitious? Um, You're a Michigan fan. Do I need to name the things that have happened to us? I didn't say I'm not superstitious. We've off the gas. I didn't say I'm not superstitious at all. I'm not superstitious like that uh, to, to that extent where I feel like, hey, man, if they if he steps out of bounds. Uh, I believe early in the game. He's going to blow his knee out. No, <laughs> no. I'm not, well, you can't say one-to-one, but you can just say whenever you ease off the gas in this game, something bad happens to you. Yeah. I believe Yeah, I, I think that um, we're going to see a good number of guys sit out without it being like I, I, I think there's a decent chance, um, you know, in the secondary and at receiver uh, that, that, you know, at least one guy, in in both uh, instances, and maybe even two, and on the on the secondary side, it's uh, it's Rod and and Makari. On the on the receiver side, it's Peyton O'Leary and uh, and Tyler Morris. Uh, I think some of those guys, if not all of them, aren't going to play on on Saturday. So, and I and I, I've heard nothing to suggest that it it it's a serious thing, and it's an opportunity to see. Some of those, uh, some of those other guys. Uh, they've talked a lot about Quentin Johnson, uh, for instance, as a as a guy that they feel like is ready to take a step. We get a chance to see he's more of a veteran guy. On the offensive side, they've been talking about these these young receivers. And look, I'm not expecting any of these guys to come in and be Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Uh, but you know, Samaj Morgan, Carmelo English, and especially especially Fred Moore. Um, those guys have had camps, the kind of camps that made me think they're going to be legit contributors contributors this year. I think one of those guys will probably even start the first game. So I'm excited about that. You know, I saw uh, because there was seemed to be some lack of enthusiasm in the Michigan fan base <coughs> about Samaj Morgan and Fred Moore. And so I, whenever I see that, I'll go back and watch the tape. And I thought Fred Moore was a remarkably advanced route runner. Uh, I don't think he's a burner, but he, he, he's a remarkably advanced route runner, and he catches the ball. And, and, Morgan, and Samaj is fast as all get out. He reminds me of the kid uh, who was at Penn State. Uh, uh, from the, from y- Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and he's really fast, and, and so – those are two guys who I thought were really good recruits regard, regardless of what their ratings were. I didn't look at Carmelo English, but I know people are, are talking him up. So, um, any event, yeah, I'm excited to see those guys. English was like the guy who was supposed to be the most re- uh, college-ready. Frederick yeah. Moore is the guy I comp to, to Ronnie Bell. He's, you know, he, mm-hmm. he 
he's fast. He gets open. He's got good hands. Well, I don't see, know. Ronnie wasn't fast, and and Fred Moore is fat. And you so that's that's not, the misconception yeah. about Fred Moore. The knock on him was that he was like a, a mid four five, four six guy. He had run like an eleven something hundred meter early in mm-hmm. his high school career, and it was. Uh, he was tagged with it the rest of the way. My understanding in was it was like he a, did that in the snow, and everyone was right. like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, he's you're like, "Why 100%. is that the thing that's, that's labeling me?" Hundred <laughs> percent, you're you're all over it. Yeah, uh, he didn't run again. He he got with uh, with the track coach and and was running track, but didn't do the hundred meter again, uh, maybe at all. Uh, but you watch the film. Uh, Texas A and M went on him. Michigan obviously went on him. Some other schools. Uh, and the thought I ran into the Texas A&M school, in, uh, Texas A&M coach, area recruiter when I was in St. Louis that time, um, when I went to see all these guys, went to see him, went to see my man over at, uh, at SLU, St. Louis University, the, the five-star receiver that Michigan is still on, went to see him, went to see a bunch of guys, but I talked yeah. to the A&M guy and they were on Fred Moore. They were like on, on Fred Moore. And there was just this, you know, feeling like they had a secret, like they had their hand in a cookie jar because they thought he was better than a lot of other schools did. Michigan was the same way. He gets to camp and his deep ball skills are better than the guys they have on the team. Right? And they have some guys <laughs> who've shown the ability to, 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 you know, get get on top of receivers and track the ball deep. But his skill set in that regard, separation out of breaks, uh, tracking the, the ball deep, Combined with speed, they feel like they haven't had one to this degree in Jim Harbaugh's tenure. There's, so there's you know, how does that show yeah. up this season? I don't know, but there's a thing we do with the recruiting profiles. I didn't get to do the I didn't get to label a guy the um the sleeper of the year. We always pick one and Brian's got a really good track record and then I picked a Morion last year. So we have a pretty mm-hmm. decent uh you can usually tell. Um there's there's things that pop out. And I was like had in the back of my mind the whole time I was doing Fred Moore write up that like this is going to be the guy and then I, the last second I went back and checked all the recruiting rankings just to see if they'd changed and rivals rivals of all people like the one site that almost never changes their their, their minds on a guy made him a four star and disqualified him but he was kind of one of those guys that was sticking up Ben Hall is probably going to be the one but I, I didn't get to write the article so I guess we have to I get to cheat this year so uh, give me your take on this one, Brian. I'm I'm curious because uh, I've been going back and went back and forth to Joe all last year about the, the passing game. Um, you know, his point was lack of sophistication in the passing game being a problem. Mine was lack of emphasis of the passing game being being the bigger issue. Uh, and and toward the end of the season, we started to see them emphasize the pass more out of necessity. Uh, and they had they made some hay that way. Uh, guys were getting open more than you could see if you didn't have the all 22. Uh, but JJ wasn't always finding them earlier in the year. And and they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal uh, when it came to pushing the ball down the field some of those times. Late in the year, they started to do that more. You, it's conceivable to think you just pick up where you left off last year and you're fine. But what I'm hearing is they are they have given some attention to being more sophisticated in the passing game with timing, with spacing, uh, kind of taking uh, more to the idea of scheming guys open as opposed to relying on their athleticism and technique uh, to always get them open. Do you think that that is going to be a tangible, if true, do you think that's going to be a tangible benefit for Michigan this year? Um, no. <laughs> no as to what? 
like I just I I don't think they need it. I don't think it needs to be more sophisticated because Roman Wilson is going to the NFL Combine. And he's going to put up a four-two, right? We've seen him. We've seen him on the on on the field. And you know, I was going over receiver stats from last year when I was posting, and everybody was talking about how JJ McCarthy did not get help from his receivers. So amongst college football playoff contenders, well, participants last year, Michigan had by far the worst catch rates on contested catches. Their yards per catch on contested opportunity was something like 2.6. And so I went back and I looked at Pro Football Focus and I saw what they they had listed for their contested catches. And the guys coming back this year from that receiving core including Colson Loveland and Donovan Edwards were 12 of 17 on contested catches, which is great. Now it's not a lot of sample size and the guys who left, uh, Ronnie Bell was three of 18 and the rest of the guys who left were something like six of 17. So I think this year, all you have to do is migrate Ronnie Bell's targets to Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson and Colston Loveland and Donovan Edwards, and you will get an uptick. And the thing about Wilson is Wilson doesn't need to have great route running skills because what he does is he runs a slot fade on you and then you get beat. And the next time he stops and you've turned yourself 180 degrees away from him. So, I mean, for me, what you need to do is you need to target Colson Loveland when nobody else is open and you need to prioritize looking at Roman Wilson because Roman Wilson's going to be open. He's just going to be open. And then the other thing that Michigan needs to do is they need to run more play action. So JJ, JJ McCarthy led the country last year in yards per attempt on play action. He led the country by two and a half yards. Wow. The number two guy was Stetson Bennett. And the gap between JJ McCarthy and Stetson Bennett was the same size as the gap between Stetson Bennett and the number 26 guy is a huge gap. We talked about that a ton yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. And definitely. Yeah. There are 78 quarterbacks in this selection. There's power five guys who had a reasonable number of attempts. And JJ was 67th in percentage of play action attempts. Yeah. That makes no sense. And <laughs> I mean, you have this run running game, right? You have Blake Corum, you have Donovan Edwards, you have these these uh incredible offensive linemen. You should default to play action on anything yeah. except third and ten. Yeah, there was uh there is definitely uh, a lot of shows on play act talking about play action shots, more play action shots, and they just uh it took them a minute to to get to get comfortable with calling more of them. But when they did, and I mean that's a function of JJ's health, function of chemistry with the receivers, the Roman, who we talked to about it, he said, Man, we just weren't really totally on the same page, receivers and quarterback. Uh, until the Ohio State game. He said, just yeah. one of those things that happens when a guy misses the entire offseason. You know, it, it, it takes you a minute to dial it in, but once we once we got rolling, we were rolling, and now you pick up where you left off in that regard. I'm wondering what you make. What do you think, Craig? I mean, do you think yeah. that the, you know, kind of kind of relying a little more on scheme in addition to what they did last year will have a tangible benefit uh, to the passing game? Well, to me, I find the notion that the passing game lacks sophistication bizarre. Uh, uh, Coming off a year when Michigan is 13-0 going into the TCU game, and the TCU game 
didn't have much, in my opinion, to do with the lack of sophistication, but two pick sixes, terrible red zone calls, and a terrible ref call at the goal line. Uh, you know, to me, the problems in the TCU game were more on defense, probably, and maybe a little slow to change during the midst of the game. But I don't, you know, Brian, I, you know, I've talked on this show a lot about yards per pass attempt, that if you're going to do a single variable analysis, that's the one. That's the one that most connects to winning and losing, uh, aside from turnovers. And if, if JJ is two and a half yards better than the next competitor on play action yards per pass attempt, it isn't a lack of sophistication. It's just not enough play action. And that makes complete sense given the fact that our running game was spectacular and that, uh, and, and, and that the offensive line was very good. And so, uh, you know, play action should be a staple of the offense. It would, ha- you know, more play action would help uh, the run game also. And, you know, I'm, I'm with Brian on this completely. I did not know this stat about the, the play action stat, but it's a remarkable one. I mean, they, well, I'm, just that, look, I'm just looking this stuff up, and I'm like, I, yeah. I, I'm sorting the column by various, yeah. like, percentages, and I'm like, yeah. what is going on with this? <laughs> they had 25 yards per attempt on play action against TCU. 25 yeah. yards per attempt. That is just insane. No, no, no kind of play, no big box should ever be – that out of whack and right you know, how many times did they run play action seth i i think it was eight or nine or something like that it wasn't a lot but yeah. it's not or no six so that's six, but that's six, six. It, was it was six, six. yeah <laughs> six times and they averaged so. 25 yards but like you look in the middle of the season last year and you know there were people were questioning until they got to the ohio state game people were wondering if uh jj couldn't throw the deep ball and because during the middle of the season, I think like his arm strength got better and he was overshooting guys a little bit. But then you watch those routes again, and Cornelius Johnson like takes a look inside and slows up. Like he's coming like like he's expecting it to, to drop down and if he just kept on going, and this happened a few times, uh the ball is gonna drop right into his lap. And you see lots of NFL throws that are like that, where the ball just goes right down the sideline and the receiver doesn't have to break his stride, and he's got two yards of throw, and he's got two yards on the cornerback when he catches it. And they didn't. the receivers were not trusting him to get the ball there. Now, I think it makes sense. You say he was injured all last, you know, for most of the offseason. I don't think he was really healthy until halfway through fall camp. And they're used to Cade McNamara, and that's where Cade would put the ball. So... I mean, it's they just didn't run it enough, and part of not running enough is that you don't know where the ball is going to be. Yeah, you definitely. Uh, we we've, we were advocating for more play passes all year long. I think yeah. I think there is a danger in taking uh, the lowest. You know, TCU is a Big Twelve defense, and so is Ohio State for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you 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 look at the uh, at the pros in Maryland secondary, the pros in Illinois secondary. The pros in Penn State's secondary. It wasn't as necessary against Penn State because you were bum rushing them. Um, you know, on the ground, you didn't really have to throw the ball uh, in that game. But you know, it, as you as you face the uh, the higher caliber defenses and secondaries, more play passing, uh, more passing in general, more quarterback dependent de- uh, dependency. I think are all on the menu, but I think there's this this feeling, and maybe this is just a function of who Kirk Campbell is as an offensive guy, because I think this is 
I think it's his influence when it comes to the timing and the spacing and the passing game, and that being more of a compliment to what Sharon Moore is. I, I think I think this is what what I'm talking about. That's where we see it. That you know maybe the, the attention to to scheme as an enhancement of what they what they do well and what they should have done more of last year. Well, this would be another element. So when you face you know Devin Witherspoon, when you face Joey Porter Jr. And when you face uh, some of these top uh, – I can't remember the Maryland guys, uh, both of whom were 4-3 were guys. When you face those Team guys – Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about the defensive, guys, defensive oh, guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you, when you face those guys, uh, yeah, you get them open with play action. Yeah, you get them open with, with uh, great technique and, and route running. But are there some times where you just scheme them wide open too even on some of the non-play action plays, mm. I think that's I think that's Kirk Campbell's uh, influence. Maybe it won't be necessary, but hey, you know, better to have it and uh, to to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Well, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, like, for big chunks of this year, you know, you're getting zone coverage because if you run Colson Loveland, AJ Barner, and Donovan Edwards out on the on the field, you're getting zone coverage because otherwise, when you motion into empty out of that. You get a linebacker chasing Donovan Edwards, and you know that's that's Cancel over. Christmas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. So you, you got and a pretty good idea. Put the linebacker idea. on Colson Loveland, though. I mean, you <laughs> well, yeah, I and mean, that's the thing. Like, so you, better you, than you, than uh, Edwards. Yeah. If you put out if you put out that personnel, how do you match up with that as a defense? Because if you go with a nickel against that, well, Michigan's just going to take their twenty-one personnel, run it down your throat. But if you put out a linebacker. What is he covering? What is he doing out there? <laughs> so I feel like they're going to have some opportunities to do that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think what what did Matt Weiss do around here? So Matt Matt Weiss was and so we'll get into this on the other side. He was a brilliant in the past in the, in the run game. I told this story before, you know, Michigan had been clinicking with the Ravens on the run before he was hired. They were clinicking with the Ravens in the run game and it was. They were clinicking with Matt Weiss. Okay. Right. And so, you know, he brings that intense run game expertise to the equation. Now, you know, he had some, you know, some passing knowledge too. Uh, but that that wasn't his forte. Like if you that's why when when Kirk was hired, that's why you heard people in JJ circles saying, Oh, they got a quarterback guy. They got a quarterback guy. Right. But that so, that was why. So that Michigan's why. offensive brain trust last year was the Ravens run game guy, an offensive line coach, and Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Right. All right. Right. Well, I I think we're going to move a little bit more towards balance this year. So be run heavy. That was was the open the hood and go, I think I see your problem here, ma'am. Well, let's get to a a break, though. And as we get to this break, Ira, let's jam in Joe's garage, man. We can jam in Joe's garage. Quarterback dependence. I, I think that, you know, one of the things one of the staples of Michigan's offense um, in the Jim Harbaugh era is that they they haven't been very QB dependent. Uh, you know, you can make the argument maybe they haven't had that kind of quarterback. Uh, and in the case of, of last year, you know, it took a, a minute for J.J. to be healthy enough to be that kind of quarterback. But now they're there. Now you had the kind of dude, Brian, 
Seth and Craig, where you can go into the game and like I, I said, uh, heading to the Ohio State, got, got to let them cook, got to let them eat. That was partly bored of necessity that they did that with Ohio, with uh, JJ uh, in that game. But another thing that I could sense in this, out of this camp, uh, as I talked to people, was that that is, is on the menu. More QB dependence uh, on, on JJ. There is a greater uh, pre-snap menu for him. He can change protections. Uh, he can change plays. He can change routes. These are all things that he didn't have a whole lot of liberty with last year. So the trust factor uh, that they are placing in him is on a different level. And frankly, I think you that's what you got to have to to get your championship teams, by and large. I mean, look at Stetson Bennett. They put a whole hell of a lot on Stetson Bennett. Uh, if you got to be able to do that with your quarterback, in my opinion, if you're going to win a championship, what say you? Yeah, I mean, Stetson Bennett is older than Craig, though. So, <laughs> like, yeah, but only by a couple of years. So, like, he he was like twenty six or something last yeah. year, yeah. and JJ is still I, he's a true junior. He's I think he's a little bit young for, especially because a lot of guys get held back to, so they can be quarterbacks that kind of thing. So, relative to his his competitors, he's still kind of developing, and I have faith that he's going to get there. But I think. I don't even know if we want JJ doing protection calls. Like you, your your center went to Stanford. True. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> we're, we're good. <laughs> but yeah, changing the routes and, and getting into the, the right play, I think, is is something that's important. Um, I mean, for me, it's just kind of late in the year, Ohio State and the TCU game. We saw teams just absolutely load up on Michigan, and it took them a while to adjust. So Michigan doesn't really start going deep until the Cornelius Johnson shot when that's halfway through the second quarter and against TCU, like they were in that flea flicker. And I immediately said to the person I went to the game with, they should run that the next play. They should just keep running flea flickers until TCU defends it. But they only went through the, they only had the six uh, play action attempts. And in both of those games, they did not run JJ until the second half. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was definitely uh, something we talked about a lot in that TCU game. You gotta, you know, you gotta balance it. You know, how much do you, how much do you run him? But you gotta run him to establish it. Like you, you gotta yeah. present the threat. I mean, look at what happened in, in in the Penn State game. Like he gets sixty two yards of offense, and most of that is in the first half. And it could have been a couple of touchdowns, but Michigan didn't block it right. And then in the second half, both of Michigan's huge touchdown runs. The fact that J.J. McCarthy kept the ball in the first half were, were key to both of those. So in any game against an opponent more intimidating than Rutgers, you know, J.J. McCarthy should have a couple of first-half carries. And I know that there's an injury risk that comes along with doing it, but there's an injury risk to drop him back in the pocket. You know, And he's going to be able to get down most of the time. He's pretty good about not getting lit up. And as Seth said earlier in this podcast, I don't think you can just tiptoe through a football season. Yeah. You got to... You gotta play like you're you mean it. And I think having JJ have the ball a couple times in the first half of a football game is part of that. Yeah. Present uh, the threat. Don't be belligerent. Right. Uh, could, not, could not agree more. I mean, that's just right on. You can't you can't go two thirds of a season just protecting a guy uh from injury. It ain't gonna work. And and you can get injured on any play anyway. Uh so 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm you want to protect you. him, if you if you're if, if you yeah. want to do the math on what's going to be more dangerous, the much more dangerous thing is to get into the third quarter and need your quarterback to to win you back, right? Because that's when he's really taking shots. The shots that you mm-hmm. take when you're stepping back to pass are the ones that cause major injury. You get dinged up running the ball. So if you use his legs a little bit early in the game and that blows things open, because you remember. One of those runs that uh, I think it was Edwards or Quorum's run, Kalen King, great cornerback for Penn State, is completely removing himself from the play because he's freaking out about J.J. And that was the one game that Michigan established that run. You get that, you're going to be running Alex Orgy in the fourth quarter, not having J.J. McCarthy drop back. So if you want to protect your quarterback from injury, use his legs a little early in the game where it's a low risk and if he gets dinged up, it's like a little knee thing or something versus putting yourself in a position where you might actually need him to stand in the pocket and take a hit in order to come back later on. Yeah, I, I wonder. Agree. Um, yeah, I, they're going to run him. Um, you know, it's the, can you run him? It's about running him responsibly, but I don't think they're going to avoid running him out of, out of fear of injury. So I, I think we'll see what you're talking about. <laughs> One thing I wonder if we'll see this year it just staying on the page of being more QB dependent than they have been is I wonder if we'll see, see them RPO him more uh, this year. They, they have been reluctant. That's not a a huge part of their, their menu, but man, if you trust your quarterback, (laughs) I mean, there can be some opportunities out there. That's how, that's how they slide Georgia sliced and diced Michigan uh, in the orange bowl. I mean, it was RPO city for, for Stetson Bennett. That's, that's Munkin. I mean, trusting to walk on at time, I shouldn't even refer to him like that. Yeah, not uh, that anymore. Point in his career. Yeah, because I it was uh it, it was a mistake to to think that Michigan had an advantage in that game. I can say that in retrospect, uh, but you could see how much trust they had in their quarterback. I think it was like 13, 14 RPOs in the first half. If you have trust in your quarterback, there are some there are some big plays uh to be had uh in that regard. Uh if if you trust your quarterback like that. So, um, you know, I wonder if we'll see. that's now that's more of an open question. I don't have any intel on that. Like I do with the, you know, no. with the spacing and the timing of the passing game and more on his pre-snap menu. This is more just an open question where they RPO. Him more. Well, I remember in the Hawaii game, he had one and he, he did. Like, it was a touchdown. He yanked it out of the, the belly of the running back and just lasered it in. I think it was to Roman Wilson. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then <laughs> I don't know if he had it. Um, he probably did, but I don't remember another RPO all year. Uh, right. I'm sure that there were some that I missed or I'm just not remembering. But yeah. And so one thing that we track mesh point decisions that um, we think are live, because we know that some of them aren't live, like JJ's not going to keep the ball against Rutgers, fine. Um, and as a backup, when he was a freshman, Seth charted JJ for 40 zone read decisions. And I charted him for 40 zone read decisions last year. So you can see how much more willing they were to take shots with him holding the ball, making decisions when he was a freshman because he wasn't the starting quarterback. I don't think that there's any doubt that JJ can make those reads because we consistently, I mean, he, he was, he was like 33 out of 40. And then he was 30 out of 40 on, on zone reads. And that's the kind of quick decision-making that you need to make on an RPO too. His RPO grading on our site is very good as well. So I don't think that there's any question that he can do that. And then uh, can you imagine being a safety trying to deal with, first of all, Michigan's ground game, 
Second of all, what if JJ has the ball? And second of all, what if this is an RPO? I mean, everybody's going to look like Lathan Ransom. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why it's an open question. Will, will they do? I, I Again, I have no intel. I'm not asking this question, suggesting that they're going to do it. I just wonder, kind of like we open, wondered openly last year about, hey, man, are they going to have, they going to call any more play action shots? Play action shots. We talked about that before the Ohio State game. I don't know if we just spoke that into existence or if we were just thinking on the same page. Well, Jim but Knowles demanded it. He was he like, did. you have to go deep on us. And they're like, okay, let's go. Let's go. And TCU did the same thing. I know Michigan scored 45 points in the game, but that was on 18 possessions. So their offensive performance was distorted by how weird that game was. It wasn't quite what you would expect given the points put up. And that's what teams are going to do this year. One of the strange things about last year is Michigan goes into the Iowa game and Iowa's like, we're just going to let you grind down the field. Like we're going to keep our cover two intact. We're just going to, we're just going to bend and don't break. I mean, Michigan state did the same thing. Everybody up until the Illinois game just refused to put an extra guy in the box. And then you saw what started in Illinois, that Michigan's offensive approach started to hamper them for large periods of games. And they offset it with some big plays, but you know, you shouldn't be spending a third of the game before you get to those. All right. So, fellas, we are at that point where uh, I know who the winner <laughs> is for this weekend's game. But you got to you just mentioned points. You got to give me your your points, your the the score of the game. Let's start with you, Craig, because we haven't heard from you in a minute. So uh, score uh, 52 to nine, 52 to nine. Brian Cook, uh, 40 to 17. 40 to 17. What's the line on the game? 39. Oh, okay. Well, I saw something else. Yeah, well, it's between 29 and 31. I saw 29 and a half at one point. Okay, still got them covering there. All right, and then, of course, Seth Fisher. Well, I'm going to change it up this year. I'm I'm done with last year's whole bit, right? So I I like Mason Garcia. I think our secondary is banged up. I think it's going to be 45-23. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're changing it up all right. Yeah, yeah I'm not doing that. I'm not going to like just like 42 27 every single game this year, all right? I'm going to. I'm gonna, totally different. You're changing with the. Times. I have more confidence in Michigan this year than I did last year. 45 27. All right. Well, fellas, as always, uh, great stuff. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next week on the MGO Blog Roundtable. To the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050, WTK, the ticket, the official voice of University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor Accumulus Station.